0: Colossians 1 verse 24. This is the word of the Lord, saints, give it your full attention. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I do not share on my behalf of his body. I do share on the behalf of my body, which is the church, in filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. The relationship between Christ and the church can be said in many ways. St. Paul gives us many ways in which our relationship to Christ is likened to a shepherd and a sheep, a king to his servants, a bride and a groom, as it was said this morning. And here in our text, St. Paul implies that the believer's relationship to Christ, that is, your relationship to Jesus Christ, is one mystical person. One mystical person. Saints of God, let me first say that all of what I'm going to say, I do not comprehend. And that's okay, because neither did St. Paul understand or rather fully wrap his mind around this union between us and believers. As he says in Ephesians 5, this is a great mystery, This is a great mystery. The mystery between us and Christ as we make up, as we will argue, and I think what Paul argues in the text, the whole Christ is a great mystery. In our series in Christology, we touched on many glorious doctrines. And one of the doctrines that we touched on was called, in Latin, the totus Christus, which is essentially the whole Christ. The whole Christ. That is to say... The church, you, the body, Christ the head, form one person. One person. One mysterious person, that is to say. One person. How do we we define then what's called the whole Christ or the totus Christus? One theologian said the whole Christ denotes a spiritual union between Christ and the church so that out of the two, one spiritual entity... Head and members comes to be. This union is spiritual because the Holy Spirit brings it about. In other words, saints, the Holy Spirit brings together two separate parties. That is to say, the Holy Spirit unites the body, which is the church, and the head, which is Jesus Christ, together to make and form one person. One person. In plain words, Christ, via his spirit, has formed a mysterious, what's technically speaking or more appropriately speaking, it's called mystical, right, union with the church, so that now the church and Jesus Christ are one spiritual entity. Now, it's important to note, spiritual entity, not that we and Jesus Christ come together and like we are we form like a transformer, where we're not physically right united to Jesus Christ. We are spiritually united to Jesus Christ. What this means, saints, is that the church does not entirely lose its identity in this union. The church remains the church. Also, Christ doesn't entirely lose his identity as well. Christ remains Christ. But what we're saying is there there's The the, the proximity of closeness between you and Christ is so it's so close that we can say we can say that us and Jesus Christ are spiritually one person, one person. That we and Jesus Christ are complete together, are complete together. Now that doesn't sound very nice initially, right? That us and Jesus Christ are complete together because it sort of implies that without us, Jesus Christ is incomplete. Right? It implies that without the church, Jesus Christ is incomplete. However, saints, we must remember that Jesus Christ is fully complete without the church because he is the head. The head is fully complete without the body. But rather, it is the church. It is the church that is incomplete without the head. And the great... One of the great news about um, and comforts about this doctrine is that Jesus Christ allows the church, by grace, to participate in him. Again, Jesus Christ is fine by himself. The church is not, though. But by grace, Christ allows the church to participate in his, technically speaking, personality. Jesus Christ does not need us in order to be... However, however, Jesus Christ has willed to unite us to be complete with us. He doesn't need us to be complete, but rather he has he has planned from all eternity that we will be complete with him. That's a wonderful, wonderful comfort, is it not? Um, Christ has decreed us to be complete with him. So then the whole whole Christ doctrine teaches us that the Holy Spirit unites us to Christ and forms one spiritual body. One spiritual person, rather. John Owen says, for Christ and believers are neither one natural person. That is to say, um, us and Jesus Christ are not naturally one. Okay. nor a legal or political person, nor any such persons as the laws, customs, or usages of men, do know or allow. They are one mystical person. They are one mystical person. Our text this afternoon, let's get to the text now, brings out this doctrine. Colossians 124. It brings out this doctrine that we in Christ are one, right, in in a spiritual, mysterious way. Okay, I'm not going to belabor the, all the points. I did that in, in, when I talked about the sermon, uh, when I did this doctrine long ago. I gave you mar- various ways in which how we are to think about our, our identity, our oneness in Christ. Okay, you can go back and listen to that or you can talk to me after service and we can go through that. Let's consider our text, Colossians 1:24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake and in my flesh I am supplementing. I am supplementing um, um, or filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions in behalf of his body, which is the church. Now, just taking that face value, this is very controversial, is it not? Very controversial. Notice again, Paul says, in my flesh, I am supplementing or I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions in behalf of his body. Now, stay with me here, okay? Why would this be controversial? Why would this be controversial for St. Paul to say, I am supplementing, I'm filling up, okay, what is lacking in Christ's afflictions? Now, we would read this and we would say, what is lacking in Christ's afflictions? What is lacking? Where's the lack in Christ's afflictions? Okay. Where's the lack? Is Paul saying that Jesus Christ, you could even say life, death was insufficient and that we add to his sufferings because that's, it seems what St. Paul is saying, that there is unfinished business that needs to be had. Is that what St. Paul is saying? Do we add to the unfinished work of Jesus Christ? Do we add to the unfinished work of Jesus Christ? Well, of course, St. Paul is not saying that. St. Paul is not saying that our sufferings add to the work of Jesus Christ for sin. Jesus Christ paid the full price of sin. Hebrews 7 tells us he did this once for all time when he offered up himself. So what does Paul mean then by saying he, Paul, in his sufferings, is supplementing and filling up what is lacking in Christ's sufferings. What is the relationship between Paul's sufferings, the church's sufferings, and the sufferings of Jesus Christ? The answer then lies in the doctrine of the whole Christ. To help us answer this text, John Davenant says, and gives us a twofold explanation, he says, now as to the first question, the sufferings of Paul and of other true believers are called the sufferings of Christ Himself on two accounts. Now notice what no notice what, what Dalvinet is is um is saying here. Notice what he's saying, Saints. He says that the sufferings of Paul and the sufferings of all true believers are called the sufferings of Christ. That is to say, your sufferings are attributed. To Jesus Christ. The sufferings of the church are the sufferings of Jesus Christ. This is going to be very, very encouraging, by the way, at the end. Trust me. Because of the mystical union, that is to say the mysterious union, Davenant said, that subsists between the head and the members, that is to say there is a union, a mysterious union between us and Christ. I can't really explain it. Mind you, St. Paul couldn't either, as I said. In in, in, uh, Ephesians 5, I'm speaking of a great mystery, if you remember. In respect of which not only the head, but the whole body of the church is comprised under the name Christ. That is to say, the, the body and the head, Christ, make up what's called the whole Christ. For in which expression the term Christ denotes both the head itself and the church united to his head? Now, it is customary for everyone to attribute to himself those injuries which are afflicted upon any body of his part, or part of his body. Thus the wounds of the hand or foot are properly said to be the wounds of the man himself. And it is unusual for him to exclaim that he is wounded in the hand or in the foot. So also in the same manner, the apostle, because he is himself a member of Christ's body, calls his afflictions the afflictions of Christ this then is the first reason because Christ and his members constitute one mystical person now notice saints, what David is saying again stay with me now you guys have tacos sitting in your stomachs my job is to take the blood in your stomachs put it back into your head notice what he's saying when you stub your toe is it your toe that's screaming does your toy, does your toe scream no your head screams out your head screams It affects the whole person. When you want to go to the restroom, when you're in the middle of the world's greatest dream, your head goes with your body to the restroom. We wish, right, that the head can stay and the body can go, but that's not how things work. Likewise, here then, our sufferings here on earth are properly called Christ sufferings. Just as when your toe hurts, the head hurts. So just as when the body hurts, Christ's body's hurt, Christ is also suffering. Christ is also suffering. Just as when one Christian hurts, just as when your fellow brother and sister of the faith hurts, you hurt as well. You hurt as well. When the body is afflicted, Jesus Christ is afflicted. Any Christian, therefore, can be said to fill up or supplement that which remains in the sufferings of Christ, for what happens to us happens to our Lord. What happens to us happens to our Lord because we are united to Him. One theologian says the sufferings of Christ are taken a twofold sense, and one for those which He actually sustained in His own body. So the sufferings of Christ are those that Christ actually suffered here on earth, but also, but also, also there are sufferings that He sustains in His mystical body which is us here on earth. So, Davina's first point then is we don't we we when we are injured, it is the whole person that's affected when we are injured. The whole person. And likewise, when we are afflicted, the body, Christ himself is afflicted. The second explanation. The second reason is because of the sympathy Christ feels in his afflictions of his members and which is the result of the union spoken before of. For as we are accustomed to consider the privations and sufferings of those with whom we are most intimately connected as our own, because we are as much afflicted with their distress as we should be our own. So Christ accounts the sufferings of his brethren as his own, because he is not less affected by them than when he himself suffering. It is this second explanation, saints, that we all can say amen to. How many of us can testify to the words of Downhead here? That it's a custom to consider the privations and sufferings of those with whom we are most intimately connected as our own. When your mother is hurting, you feel like you're hurting. When your wife is hurting, when your child... I mean, I didn't, I didn't know how much I could feel someone's pain until I had a son. I didn't know how much I could protect someone as much as I could... Um, until I had a son. Many of you have people in your lives that are so close to you that when they hurt, you hurt with them. It is almost as if you are feeling the same pain that they're feeling. If we feel sympathy for those saints whom we love when they are afflicted, then how much more sympathy does Christ feel for us? Again, if we have sympathy for those whom we love how much more sympathy does Christ have when we are afflicted, when we are afflicted? As John Gill wonderfully says, what befalls to them, the church, may be predicated of him, Christ. That is to say, whatever happens to the church is predicated, is attributed to Christ. If any one of them suffers, he suffers with them. As the whole sufferings of a part of the body are ascribed to the whole person. And because of that sympathy there is between them, he is a fellow feeling with his people of all their infirmities. In all their afflictions, he is afflicted. In all of our, in all of your afflictions, congregation, Christ is afflicted. This is what the Bible speaks of. This is what the Word of God says. Hebrews 4.15, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. But one who has been tempted in all things, just as we are, yet without sin. Now, it's important to note here, just to do a little bit of theology proper, when we say that Christ is suffering with us, we want to think that Jesus Christ, as man, is in heaven, suffering the self-same sufferings that we are on earth. That is to say, when you stub your toe, Christ in heaven doesn't feel that. Or when you cry, God is also shedding tears. However, that doesn't negate, though, the language of this, and I'm just going to say it to you now, that God in the person of Jesus Christ suffers with his people. Christ does not suffer of the self-same sufferings as us. Why? Well, one reason is because we're not numerically identical to Jesus Christ. But rather, Jesus Christ suffers in solidarity with us by the Spirit since we are united to Christ by the holy spirit jesus christ suffers with his members in their suffering he suffers in our suffering he suffers in our suffering i mean st paul says in galatians 2:20 that christ lives in me christ lives in me no other text brings us out more saints than paul's encounter with christ in acts 9:4 do you remember saints Saul is riding on that Damascus road, and as he is traveling, a light from heaven flashed from him. And do you remember what Christ told Paul? Knocks him off the horse, and he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? That's very interesting, is it not? Because is Paul physically persecuting Jesus Christ? As if Jesus Christ is just receiving all of the persecution from Paul. Well no, because Christ isn't physically there. But it's interesting though that, that Christ though, He's associating Himself with the church because He says, Paul, why are you persecuting me? But Paul is persecuting the church. That means Paul is linking Himself to the sufferings of Christ, to the sufferings of the church. And He says, what you do to them, you're doing to me, Paul. You're doing to me because the church is inseparably joined to Jesus Christ. Whatever happens to the body is attributed to the head. Who is Jesus Christ? One last text to bring this out on many other texts, many other texts bring this out. But one last text, Matthew 25, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will say to them him lord when do we see you hungry and feed you or thirst or you or give you something to drink you're saying that we have fed you you're saying that we clothed you clothed you can you locate a specific time a date when we actually physically did these things to you when did we see you sick when did we go visit you and then the king replied truly i tell you whatever you do uh do for one of the least of these brothers of sisters of mine you did for me Saints of God, many will say, try to distort this verse saying, this is speaking to homeless people. This is not speaking about homeless people. The text is clear that whatever you do, the king says, Jesus Christ says, whatever you do to the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, Christians, you do to me. That is to say, your service, saints, to your brothers and sisters of the faith is service unto Christ. That is to say Your service to your brothers and sisters of the faith, uh, as it was said this morning. The good works that you do toward your brothers and sisters of the faith. Yes, you're doing it to them specifically, but also you're doing it to Jesus Christ as a whole. As a whole. Saints of God, in essence, Jesus is saying, whatever you do to Christians, you do to me. And notice the least of these. He associates himself with the least of the peoples on earth. The least of the peoples on earth. Saints of God, um, how can Christ say this? How can Jesus Christ say this? Because Jesus Christ and the church make up one mysterious, mystical, spiritual person. That's why. That what you it's it's sort of like you know uh, your children. What you do to my son, you do to me. What you do, whatever you do to, to someone associated under my family name, you're doing to me. And that's what Jesus Christ, in an analogous way, is saying. This doctrine, Saints of God, is truly amazing. Truly, truly amazing. For it allows us, Saints of God, to have more comfort in God. When it's our time to go through sufferings. When it's our time to go through deep distress. extraordinary comforting, is it not? Pastor Antonio said about God last Sunday that God is fullness of being, meaning that all that God is, whether it be love, goodness, etc., is complete and perfect in Him, lacking nothing. Mm -hmm. Lacking nothing. God is life Himself. And because God is life himself, he's the very giver of life. What that means, saints, is that anything and everything in this world that has life is a sheer, is, 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 been given a donation from the very life of God. From the very life of God. That's why it's insane. That's why it's insane for everything in this world, and the Psalm, and the Psalms always say it, for everything in this world to give breath to God, to give praise to God, because the very breath That they have is a donation from God himself. That's a separate point. But God then is life, and he abides in all that he has made. Again, he abides in all and everything that he has made, because everything has life. Well, saints, if God abides in all that he has made, either by his essence, presence, or power, then how much more does he abide with us in our time of sorrow and suffering? Again, if God abides in all that He has made because He's the giver of life and they themselves have life, then how much more does He abide with His children who are united to His Son when we are suffering and sorrow? Scripture uses the word compassion to describe this special presence of God. Isaiah forty nine thirteen The Lord has comforted His people and will have compassion. Isaiah forty nine thirteen But saints of God... How do we understand God's compassion? How do we understand God's compassion? Well, think of the way in which we experience compassion. Human compassion involves both a reaction of sadness and a desire of help when we are aware of another's sorrow and distress. We see someone sad and it causes a reaction to us and within our wills, we desire to help them. We we move toward them. However, saints... God's compassion is far superior than the way in which we experience compassion. Here is the comfort. Our compassion for people of tragedy is awakened when we hear of their situation. We are alerted. The lights sort of turn on when someone's in distress. However, God's compassion does not need to be awakened. Let me say it one more time. God's compassion, God's mercy God's love, when you are in distress and sorrow, does not need to be awakened. God does not react to our situations. He does not react to our situations. But God's mercy, His compassion, His love is always present to us. Always present to us. God is always working to bring to us present joy in the midst of present sorrow. Yes. This is what St. Paul says, remember in Romans 8.28, and we know that God causes all things to work together yes. for Amen. those for good, for those who love God, Amen. to those who are called according yes. to his purpose. Yes. However, congregation, there is more we can say. There is much more we can say concerning God's compassion. For saints of God, what is... Greater than mere sympathy for someone. What's greater than than mere sympathy for someone? What is greater, congregation, is when we forget about ourselves and simply view the sufferings of the other as our own. That's called empathy. When we see someone whom we love and we see their sufferings and we account them as our own, we take them on. And saints of God... This is the great comfort of the doctrine of the whole Christ. This is the great comfort. What does Christ tell Paul? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Again, saints, Christ does not say that he experiences merely a sympathetic sorrow at our distress. But rather, he sees our distress as his own. He sees our sufferings as his own. Congregation, this is the greatness of the love of Christ. This is this is this is Christ's love, and the way in which Saint Paul thought of it—that that that, it, that 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 love that surpasses understanding, that God does not, as if it is at some distance, react or respond to our suffering, but rather, but rather identifies with us in our suffering in the person of Jesus Christ. He identifies himself with our sufferings yes. in the person of Jesus Christ.. Yes. Amen. Saints of God, Christ identifies, with him, identifies himself with all of our present sufferings. But also here's the great news: that Christ has allowed us to participate and identify in all of His victories.. Amen. All of His victories. What this means, congregation, in closing, is that Jesus Christ is more present in the church than we fail to realize. Jesus Christ is more present to you than we fail to realize. At St. Paul in our Texas afternoon, he's simply saying, as we can say, that we do not suffer alone. That we do not suffer alone. Not that Jesus Christ, saints of God, is crying with us, but he is that rock. Yes. That we can turn to. Yes. He, he is that stable, steady ground. Yes. Then we can throw all of ourselves on. Yes. In fact, Saint we could even say that the church does nothing alone. There's nothing that we do alone. Yes. And this is the great promise of Christ, is it not? Do yes. you remember what Christ says in his final words to his disciples before his ascension? Matthew 28:20. 20. And remember, I am with you always. the end of the age. Christ is with you. Christ sympathizes with you. He empathizes with you. But also understand, saints, that he calls us to throw all of our burdens upon him. For his yoke is easy. Thanks of God, let's pray.